Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. But let's get into the message today because uh, it's been a bit, of, a bit of a hiatus because we had two weeks off from this series, but we're going to be jumping into um, Rabbi and Talmudim. Rabbi and Talmudim. So if you know your, um, your biblical history, Rabbi and Talmudim was a very typical setup within the Jewish um, religion where the Jewish um, boys, it was only boys at the time, would go through this school and they would go through the first part of it was Beit Shefer, Shefer where they learned the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Then they, they would graduate to something called Beit Talmud, which is the school that was connected to the synagogue basically Bible college, and they would learn and they will grow from the age of 12 to, to about 18, and they will learn and they will grow and they will learn the, the word of God, they would be asked questions by a scribe, by a rabbi, well, by a scribe rather, and then they, if they were the best of the best of the best, they would graduate into something called Talmudim, where they became a, a disciple, or what we have learned, the better translation is called an apprentice, so like uh, an electrician apprentice, uh, like a sparky will apprentice to a master uh, electrician, this person will become a apprentice to a rabbi. But the goal, the actual thing that would happen is that once they graduated, the rabbi, or the Talmudim rather, the apprentice, had to go and find a rabbi. So their goal was to go out, find a rabbi, and they would be tested by the rabbi. And the rabbi would basically say at one point, all right, yep, you've answered these questions well, follow me. That's why when we look at the picture of Jesus, when he goes to a fisherman, uneducated fisherman, young, uneducated fisherman, tax collectors, Simon the Zealot, the Zealot was a, a domestic terrorist at the time. When he went to these people, he said, follow me. Does that not make the call of Jesus in our life just so much more amazing? You don't have to be educated you don't have to be you don't have to pass all the tests you don't have to get all the the checks in the box you just have to follow and that's what we are we are if you believe in jesus you are an apprentice and if you're an apprentice a disciple of jesus what we are doing is what we are building our life around three goals as an apprentice of a rabbi talmudin the three goals I haven't put up there, sorry, are to be with Jesus. That's the first goal, and that's the baseline for everything. Um, my first goal is to be with Jesus, to be with my rabbi, follow him, be around him at all times, eat, uh, be around, eat food with him, learn as he watches as he teaches, things like this. My second goal was to become like Jesus, and that's what we're talking about today or become like my rabbi. So back in the day, you've got to realize that now, nowadays, postmodernism is like, your truth is your truth. Back in the day, it was like, no, I want to be exactly like that rabbi. No, I want to, do, I want to be in the image of that rabbi because they have gone through the schools, they've received the title of rabbi. Now I want to mimic, be in the image of them. And then the third goal is to do as Jesus did. And I have a special gift for you next week because um, oh, I don't want to give it away. Should I give it away? No, 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 no. I have a special gift for you next week. 
um, that I want to, for every single person to come along, there's something you can take away with you. But to do as Jesus did. But we're going to focus on becoming like Jesus. And I know that you've probably heard about becoming like Jesus from many different um, sermons and preachers before. And today I will come in that line as well. Many different ones. But what I want to tell you, I believe that this um, teaching in particular, there's something about it that gets to your inner core, your inner being, to your heart, that I think we really need to be open and aware of this morning. Is that good? Uh, so let's shift our awareness to the Holy Spirit that God is speaking to us today. Luke 6.39. Say Luke 6.39. That's great. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? No. Yeah, no that's... Will they not both fall into a pit? Yes. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. In the Gospels, Jesus regularly called the Pharisees or the religious leaders, Sadducees, whatnot, blind guides. Basically saying there are blind disciples out there who are following blind rabbis. So that's, that's quite a harsh thing to say, you know, within there, because these guys would have been high priest rabbis. They would have been in that, that line as well. And Jesus just basically comes out of nowhere, a 30, 30-year-old guy, so I'm 32, 30-year-old guy about my age, and starts saying to all these teachers who've been around for ages, you guys are blind. You have no idea what you're doing. You're leading people down the wrong path. Like, if you're, say you're a little bit older than me, and don't, you don't have to reveal your age to me, and I assume we're all at the same age here, but say you're a little bit older than me, if I start saying to you, or in, like, in your job, your profession, no, nah, you're, you're bad at this, you're not doing it right, you're a terrible Dr. Louise, you're blind, you know, how would you feel? I would feel pretty angry. I'd be pretty frustrated. I would be like, all right, I want to I put you on a cross. You know, so don't want to jump too far ahead in the story here. But then basically, Jesus says, you're basically blind disciples following blind rabbis. But then he says something really key here. And this is in the verse here. This, a disciple or student, the apprentice, is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So if there is a fully trained, what is there? What else is there? A partially trained. An undertrained, maybe. A not trained. If there's a fully trained, that means that there's not there's a not fully trained. So what we have here is this clear understanding description that you are to become like your rabbi. It doesn't mean that you are like your rabbi straight away. It means that there are steps, there are stages, there are there are Moments where we're constantly transformed and changed over time. I could ask some of the spiritual fathers and mothers in the church in Australia, Western Australia, and say, do you feel like you figured it out? And they will say, I think I'm probably further away than I was before. A lot of people say, I have more questions than I have answers now. I feel like I've got less of a grasp on it than I did before. You know, and that tells me that we have this journey that we have to go on. You are on a journey. It is a great journey, but there are stages. And whatever stage you are in in your faith discipleship journey, I just want to encourage you and say, you're exactly where you're meant to be. You're following the perfect rabbi, Jesus. 
And you will be where God wants you to be if you follow him. And that's exciting. Don't try and be like the person next to you. Don't look to online people on different churches and things like that and say, they know something I don't know. If you're following Jesus and you're in his world, you're following the rabbi, you're doing exactly the right thing. You are following him. And that is all that we can do. But the thing is, most of us, even though we are following Jesus, we do need a bit of an overhaul of our life. Like we've seen in House Hunters or the renovation shows. I love this example. A lot, of, a lot of them will rock up and be like, like particularly um, Chipping Joanna Gaines, I forget, Fixer Upper. You, they rock up and they see that and they're like, oh, look at this house. This is great as it is, I'll take it. No, there's a process, there's a transformation that goes on because there's potential and with potential, there's the potential for transformation. And that's what we are in. And who knows what the Greek word for transform actually is. And you might, you'll probably recognise this when I say it. Metamorpho-u, which is metamorphosis. Metamorpho-u, and that is related directly to a caterpillar. And they go through stages. But another way that we can describe it in the, the dictionary is the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult, adult form in two or more distinct stages. Who feels a bit immature sometimes? <laughs> Who feels a bit... You know, you know when we're like, oh, I'm... When, we're, when you're growing up, you're like, I'm adulting real hard right now. Or you say, I'm adulting. And you're like, of course you're adulting. You're an adult. There's a difference between who you are and your character and your soul and whatnot. It does. Sometimes they don't always align with each other. And you're like, I'm surprised that I'm 32 now and I've got, I'm on top of paying bills. You know, things like this. Maybe in your faith, you're 32 plus. And you're like, well, I'm, I finally feel like I can forgive people more easily. Or I finally feel secure within myself. Now, maybe there are different stages to your journey, to your walk. The important thing to remember is that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that we, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image for Mu, from one degree, degree of glory, to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed from glory to glory. And in Romans 12, 12, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So there is an invitation. This is, this is an invitation. We didn't go and seek this out, remember. We didn't go and seek it out. The, the, the apprenticeship to Jesus was an invitation. The apprenticeship to a rabbi was a seeking. We have an invitation. We say yes to it. So there's an invitation through apprenticeship to Jesus to mature and become like Christ in stages. Who thinks that they have it sorted out? I do not. Do you know, I actually thought, if you don't know me, I haven't told you this yet, I'm actually... I actually had a heart attack in uh, October 2020. Uh, I was on a run. So that, you've now learned, don't run. There's, there's, there's wisdom there. I was on a run. Louise saw me on day two. I was very close to death. I was very close to death. She's a doctor. She doesn't, 
Like, I was very close. But what that made me realise were beforehand, it made me realise just how unhealthy I was before. And this transformation, this turnaround, I've been on a journey ever since then about seeking out mentors, accountability, about looking inward at my inner life. I've been seeking out different ways to actually grow and people to look to, as well as Jesus, well, mainly Jesus, but as well as Jesus, people to look to to say, how have you been a Christian for 50 years? How do you still love and follow the Lord after 50 years? That's insane. How do you still go to church after 50 years? Sometimes I get sick of y'all. Like, how do some people hang around for 50 years in this? You know, it's, it, but I want to be that person. I want to be that person in 50 years' time where I can say, I love the Lord more than I did before. I, I was watching House last night. Who, like, who likes the TV show House? And I saw this, um, this episode where this Hasidic Jew married a woman who had just come out of, like, who had just become a Hasidic Jew six months before. A Hasidic Jew is very, very strict. They have no TV, nothing. Um, and the, the doctor said to the, the Jewish man, like, as a husband, oh, how, maybe she's just faking it all for the past six months. She's faking it. How can, if she goes back to the way she was before, we still love her. And he says, the thing about marriage is that, he asked, he asked the guy, the thing about marriage is, do you love, how much do you love your wife? Uh, so I, oh, I've been married 12 years. I, I love her like, as much as the day that I first met her. And he says, well, I love my wife more every day. We always say, as, as much as the day that I first met her, well, actually, with Jesus, it's more every day. It's not just the, when we say, go back to your first love. Remember that moment when you first met Jesus? And we're like, yes, it was awesome. I was like, youth alive. And there were smoke machines and something was popping off. And you're like, that was awesome. That was the best Jesus. I wish I just had the best Jesus again. Whereas what we have is we have this Jesus that as we know him more and more and more, he becomes more close, more intimate, more loving, more guidance. And we learn that I love him more every day, not just the day that I met him. I think that is an amazing thing. So for me, I love God more. I love Jesus more than when I first met him because I know him more. I've followed him more and I've seen his character. I've seen that he's good, that he is true to his word. I've seen that he is faithful, that he is kind, he is slow to anger. You know, this process though of going through and maturing is called spiritual transformation. I don't know if you've heard it before. Some people call it sanctification. Some people call it maturity. But it's Dallas Willard says, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is the process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with, our, with Jesus, our teacher. So the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the sake of others. I want to make a massive point here. Your transformation is for the glory of God and for the sake of others. It's not to become a monk, because that's all for the glory of God, and that's for no one else. It's to become a mature, loving person. Someone who will move in the love and the gifts of God and see this world transformed and, and find salvation through Jesus. So spiritual formation, though, and I want to 
I might shock you a bit here, is not just a Christian thing, it's a human thing. Because you are being shaped and formed by someone or something every second of the day. So the question we need to ask ourselves is not, who am I an apprentice, a disciple, mentee, mentoree of? But what? Sorry. We need to ask is, who am I a mentor or an apprentice or a disciple of? I lost the drama when I made this mistake, didn't I? You know, basically, we need to ask, who am I an apprentice of? So I want to talk about two things this morning. Unintentional spiritual formation and intentional spiritual formation in the process of becoming like Jesus. Because we are unintentionally formed every day. And do you know how you are unintentionally spiritually formed every day? You need to wake up. If you wake up and go to work, look at your phone, turn the TV on, have a conversation, you are being spiritually formed. Whether you like it or not, And it happens through experiences, it happens through good, bad, ugly, it happens through everything. You look around, I I read something on the wall, I I, I wear certain clothes, I look at what someone else is wearing, I want their shoes. You You are being formed, who you are is being formed day by day. And so I want to give you four ways that we are unintentionally formed and then four ways that we can counter that to become like Jesus instead. Is that good? Are you still with me? Good. Sweet. We are formed by the stories that we believe. We love a good story. That's why Home and Away has survived for so flipping long. We love a good story. What's that? A good story. We love a story, whether it's good. But someone is always going to die on their wedding day. And for some reason... We just love it. We're like, we tune in and we watch it. And we're like, well, that's not real, but I want to see it. You know, it's like, we are formed by this media. How many people hate a politician that they have no idea who they are, have never met or never met, don't actually, have never had a conversation with them and says, I hate that person. I'm going to slag them online. You are being formed by someone else's opinion. Unless you meet someone, I say reserve your judgment. We have been formed through the narrative of culture, through family upbringing. You know, I remember hearing the story once in a marriage course, but this, this is relevant. Um, this young woman was surprised that whenever her husband, um, they had some sort of conflict or issue or something they had to figure out, he would just yell and he would be quite loud and abrasive where she would shut down and pull away and be like, what's going on, you know? And so they, they were butting heads for years until they went to a marriage counsellor and they realised that his, his dad was partially deaf. So the reason they would yell was because his dad couldn't hear what was going on. Whereas in her family, they were more reserved, you know, the whole English upbringing, British, sorry, British upbringing, you know, it's like, it's... We, we have to understand that our family upbringing has shaped us so much. Maybe you're, you're someone that in the heat of a moment, you think, oh, I'm going to go and I'm just going to duke this out. We're gonna... I remember someone saying to me, it's like, I love conflict. I'm like, you don't love conflict. 
No one loves conflict. You like the idea of people like thinking that you're big because you say, I like conflict. And then when the one time I've had conflict with this person, they didn't love conflict. You know, it's one of these things where we don't actually love conflict. We don't love these things. But we, our family upbringing might have caused us or wounded us or sent us down a path where I am shaped by the way that we have done things. Then I am shaped by media. I am shaped, you know, the whole Fox CNN argument going on and whichever one you listen to, you start subscribing to that. You know, it's like sometimes we just need to turn the TV off and ask Jesus what he thinks. You know, but you're shaped by stories, by culture, whether it be that speaking your truth is the path to happiness or that Hollywood is the peak of existence, which a lot of us think if you have more, if you have more followers on Instagram, you are more happy, you're more successful. The stories and narratives that we're exposed to daily will form the way that we live. It's formed, for me, I have to admit, it formed the way that we ran church for a long time. It formed the way that we thought, this is the way church has to be done, because it's always been done this way, and the successful churches, the big, massive, mega churches, do it this way. Whereas actually Jesus is saying something totally different. But number two, how we are formed. We are formed by the habits that we live into. What we do on a regular basis is who we become. Our habits get into the core of our being and they shape our loves and our longings. I love coffee, but I don't drink coffee anymore because of the taste. I like to say I do. I drink it because it's habitual. When I want to read or study, I go to a coffee shop. When I'm tired, I get a coffee. If I'm stressed, I drink a coffee. What started off as something that was like, oh, I like the flavour notes in this coffee. Oh, this is a little bit swanky. This is nice. It's now, I am angry. It is 9.15 and I need a coffee or else I'm going to hurt someone. When I'm stressed, when I'm tired, coffee was a love for me, but now it is a habit. Because I know Clearly, my man Tim over here, Mr. Chai, he drinks chais. And honestly, chais taste nicer than coffee. Soft drink tastes nicer than beer. It is just a truth. Well, I think it's a truth. Someone else can say otherwise. But for you, it could be dinner at the table. Maybe it is scrolling on your phone for hours each day. I know people who turn their, their hours limit off on their phone because they don't want to be they don't want to be like, oh I spent this much time scrolling on my phone if I just turn it off if I don't know about it it won't impact me maybe it's turning on the TV at night I know this for so many people put away the kids to bed finish dinner sit down on the couch turn on turn on home and away we don't even like home and away you turn the TV on and you're like why did I turn the TV on Why did I do it? It's habitual. It's not actually something that we particularly want to do. Maybe for you, it is on a train when you're driving along and when you're going to work. And Do you talk to someone or you just look down and you ignore everyone? It's habitual. You know, maybe attending church on a Sunday is habitual. Maybe an addiction or substance abuse is habitual. But basically, bit by bit, the more that this habit 
is consolidated within our lives. It changes who we are. Who's heard of this, the book called Atomic Habits by James Clear? I'd say it's an amazing book to read. It's not a Christian book, but I think it, 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 it speaks so amazingly to the way that we can live a life of discipline. James Clear says the ultimate form of intrinsic motivation is when a habit becomes part of your identity. It's one thing to say that I'm the type of a person who wants this. It's something very different to say I'm the type of person who is this. But this can be both, both positive and negative. What I, what I started doing at the start of the year is like, I want to be someone who makes their bed every morning. And that changed to, I want to be someone who, who likes to have a clean house. And that changed to someone I value cleanliness. I clean, value these things. And it changed from being something I wanted to do to this is who I am. Uh, maybe it's like a praying. I want to be someone who prays twice a day to actually know I want to be a prayerful person. It's my identity. It's not something I do because something that you do can be separate from who you are. But then let's take this negative. Oh, let's take this negative. I'm someone that likes to control everything when I feel insecure. You know, and that means instead of actually what I'm, I'm controlling things is actually I'm an insecure person. It starts to become a negative thing. Or I become overly critical when someone makes a mistake. And it's no longer, I do this, it starts to, over time, becomes, I'm a critical person. And then we go on and say, I, I isolate myself when I feel down. So it, it goes from this thing that we do, and then unchecked, actually becomes who we are. I'm an isolated person. I'm a lonely person. And we look at these things, and the great thing is, we can change them, we can counter them, but if we don't uncheck these things, we are unintentionally being spiritually formed each and every day. It sounds a bit gloom and doom, but just wait to the second half of this. We are formed, next part, we are formed by the relationships we are in. I want to show you the, the next picture, please, Quill. I found this very funny. We are formed by the relationships that we are in. When you hang around a certain uh, group of people regularly, you start to become like that group of people. So see this photo here. I doubt that two years ago, they all dressed that way. They all had those tattoos. But over time, they've realised that actually, this is the way that the group does things. Therefore, I'm going to assimilate to that and I'm going to wear tight tops and tight pants. There's another, there another one that I didn't put up, but it was funny. It's like uh, Christian girls in autumn, and they've all got hats on, they've all got jeans, they've all got like the knee-high boots and things like that. But it's like, over time, the odds you will start dressing like your friends, start thinking like your friends, unless you are super individual, which does happen. But odds are, you listen to the similar music or watch similar TV shows, we, we can't underestimate the power of proximity on our lives. You can't underestimate that. I hang out. And the thing about this, relationships, we, we will change our lives and we will change the things that we do to be around people who are similar in values to us. 
The problem is that not always are the values Christ-like. So I will change my church, my work, my job, my school to be around people who carry maybe the same bitter root judgment, the same bitterness towards church as I. I'm going to start attending a house church because big churches suck. And so I'm going to start going to a Baptist church because the Pentecostals don't know, don't have good theology. And you're not wrong there. We're getting better. But I'm going to to start going, I'm going to change my life and make my circle so small that anything that is, needs accountability towards it, won't because the people around me think the same thing. The relationships that we're in, they can be awesome. They can be amazing, life-giving. But I say, if you are never checked, if you never have accountability, what's going to start off? You'll start innocently saying, oh, did you hear about that person? Oh, they didn't rock up to church again. Then all of a sudden, it's full-blown. They now worship a different Lord. You know, like you start going off on this crazy journey and gossip turns into something that is justified. And then when you rock up with each other, you're like, hey, tell me the gossip. Tell me the goss. And all of a sudden, we're glorifying gossip because my group of friends, my relationships, this is what we value. When you choose, when you constantly choose to be around people who have the same character traits as you, you're not going to be transformed, but you're going to be consolidated in the negative parts of your life. Positive too sometimes, but maybe. Have you ever been around a group of people or been in a conversation where it's like you're super positive and you're talking and then all of a sudden the person's like, nah, 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 and they're real negative and all of a sudden you're negative. And then that flows onto the person or your partner or whatnot, and then they're negative. And all of a sudden, you just have this real sad circle of people talking about what can't happen as opposed to what can God do. You know, the relationships that you're in, they may start off innocently, and before you know it, you're a full-blown tabloid, full of criticism, judgment, gossip, and people know it. People from afar. I I don't want to be known as a person who is negative, narky, gossipy, I want to be known as a person who's full of hope, a person who's kind. I want to be someone who's following Jesus. Who wants that? I want that. We are formed by the environment we live in. And this one's fairly easy to understand. If you live in Fremantle, you will become like Fremantle. You'll have keep cups, organic food, farmers markets, and you'll vote for the Greens. If you live in a dysfunctional household, You'll display characteristics of that household. Maybe it's poor communication, anger, stress. Your environment. Do not underestimate your environment. If you're in the CBD, you'll be stressed. Go, 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 go. You have to wear a suit and a tie and you're like, ah, fast pace, fast pace. You know, when we, the environment that we're in, and this, is, this isn't just a biblical thing, but this is just, this is common knowledge. The environment that you're in will shape you. And we can unpack this for days, but it's very well known that you are a product of your environment. So the stories we believe, the habits we live into, the relationships we are involved in, and the environment we live in work together to shape you and form you into a very specific kind of person. If you were to take a moment, though, and think of these four things, can I ask you, do you think you're becoming more like Jesus? In these four things. Your habits, your relationships, your environment, the stories that you believe in. I, wanna, I just want to talk about two things, two myths, two things that 
before we go into the counters, and let me finish it before you criticize me. <laughs> but these will give the four counters that we uh, were going to show that, that of intentional spiritual formation more power. The first myth, you don't, you don't just need to know the Bible. That's the first myth that we're told. You just need to know the Bible. And I love the Bible. Please don't misunderstand me. I study the Bible. I'm, I'm doing my bachelor at Bible college. I'm moving into a master's of theology in the next couple of years. I love the Bible. It's necessary, it's essential, it's critical to our faith. But here lies the problem. It's like I was saying how we've been shaped. We have been so shaped by Western European history and we don't fully realise it. Martin Luther, who, was inspired, who inspired the Protestant Reformation, that's when the Catholic Church split from the Protestant church, which we are a part of, in the 1500s, taught that the process of sanctification, which is what we call spiritual formation, is not effective apart from the little c, the church. So it's not effective apart from your local church. Basically what he was saying is that we need, the only things that you need are the word and the sacraments. Which I, we do need these things. I need the word of God preached. I need to take the sacraments, communion. These aren't bad things, but these are, these are very good things. But the issue we have here is that I know many people who will hear the word of God preached, partake in communion, and then will go home and watch porn. I know people who will hear the word of God preached, take communion, then they'll go home and emotionally manipulate their partner. I know people who are, will pr- hear the word of God preached, partake in communion, and then flip someone off on the way home in a fit of road rage. Do you think that your sanctification has happened purely by coming and hearing the word of God and taking, partaking in the communion? No. These are essential to our faith, yes, but there is more to it. Because Luther, basically, he simplified this apprenticeship that we're talking about significantly and then what happened we moved forward hundreds of years to something called the um sorry the enlightenment era it's called the age of reason and what happens is oh no sorry we move forward to evangelicalism it gets worse evangelicalism and what they do is they start to take communion out of the church service and they they focus everything around the, the preaching so what, what Luther and Protestantism has done is simplified it down to word and sacraments, but then we've simplified it further by, by not valuing communion. So we've just got the sermon. Have you ever wondered why we build our services around a 40-minute block of preaching? It was Luther. At this, we've cut it down, our apprenticeship, to hearing the word of God. And then we jump into the Enlightenment era, where we start to say it's the age of reason. And there's a man named Descartes. He says, I think, therefore I am. Have you ever heard that before? I think, therefore I am. And if he, if he was right, this would be awesome. I am loving. So I love every single person now. Maybe you've got a stressful week. I am not stressed. I'm good to go. Maybe you're, you're fearful. Maybe you're broke. I am not broke. Good. It is not true. 
This idea of I think, therefore I am, is not our way to Christ-likeness. You can't just think your way to Christ-likeness because everyone would be Christ-like by now. But what we have is we have boiled it down to an intellectual endeavour. That my discipleship journey is purely intellectual. Information transfer. So it's all about the information that I have. So that all I have to do is if my knowledge of the Bible increases, then my Christ-likeness increases. Can I say, read your Bible. So important. But the, under, the word is called the word incarnate. It means that the word, the living word, the Bible, the word comes and lives in you and lives out of you. That is the word incarnate. If it's going in and not coming out, it's just information transfer. You've just downloaded something and you're not moving to the next stage. So coming to church, reading a book, studying theology will not make you Christ-like alone. It's a great start. And for all the Protestants, Baptists and people who aren't Pentecostal, you can chat to me afterwards and we can duke it out. But there is more to your journey than just reading and knowledge transfer. Next thing, and this is, t- this is to the Pentecostals right here. You don't need to do anything, just let God do it. This famous cliche, who's ever heard of it before? Let go and let God. Have you ever heard of that? It's like the Matrix. It's like Neo. He's like, oh, I need to know jujitsu. I know jujitsu. It's like, we, we don't actually go through the process of learning and we just say, oh, God will just do it. Can I say, God will do many things. He will provide, he will be miraculous in different ways. But your character, you can't microwave character. You can't just, 30 seconds, I am Christ-like. No, you can't. Do that. There's actually an apprenticeship. There's a part of our responsibility that we need to grasp or hold on to. St. Augustine says, without him, we can't, but without us, he won't. Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is an attitude. If I constantly just say, I deserve this, and I'm like, I deserve this, I need to earn this. Like, what we have is an attitude problem. But if we're saying, actually, I'm going to, every day, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to be aware of God, and I'm going to read the Bible. Every day, it's called the one percenters, if you're a sports person, the one percenters, the one percenters matter, because one percent adds two percent, adds to three percent, which means adds to this full picture. So this idea of following Jesus is we don't just let God do it. Actually, he wants to partner with us to do it. All right. The counters that we have here, and I recognize the the time that we have, so I'm going to move through this fairly uh, quickly here. But the counter that we have to the stories is teaching. Teaching like this going and listening to sermons, going and doing that. Like I was saying, it's like Luther's saying, information transfer alone is not important. But if you're listening to Trump or you listen to CNN or you listen to Facebook more than you listen to the Bible, you will be shaped by Facebook more than you'll be shaped by the Word of God. So the counter to the stories that we're hearing is to actually 
hear the word of God preached, and then put it into practice, which is actually the second part, the counter to our habits, is practice. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, it says, Matthew 5 to 7, he, he finishes and starts and finishes with this idea of practice. And the practice is living in a new reality of the kingdom. What we have to understand is that when the word of God was preached, it wasn't preached for us to have knowledge transfer, but it was preached for us to have a new way of living. In Acts 2 and 12, the disciples are referred to as followers of the way. So have you, have you ever someone said, hey, this is the way that you do it? Jesus was saying, hey, it's the way that you follow me is this way. Love your neighbour. This is the way you do it. Not just by, love my neighbour. Oh, I love my neighbour. I've never spoken to them. Don't know their name. Don't have their phone number. Live next to me for 20 years. But I love my neighbour. I would say, if you don't know your neighbour's name, you are not, <laughs> you may not be loving your neighbour. It's simple. The counter to habits is practice. It's not that we can't live a life free from anxiety, lust, greed, or worry, but we just can't live it yet because it takes a lifetime of practice in community. I want to make sure you recognize that. The practices of Jesus, what we call spiritual disciplines, help us more than to live well, but it helps us to live well in community. They, because they get in at heart level, they transform us, and they change the orientation of our heart, our desires, and our attitudes. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it. The next point to counter relationships is community. Henry Nguyen says that the Christian community is not a closed circle of people embracing each other, but a forward-moving group of companions bound together by the same voice, asking for their attention. Have you ever thought to yourself, my friends don't actually come to my church? My close friends don't actually come to my church? Or maybe you've gone to church where your close friends don't. Maybe that's because God chose you to go to the church where your close friends aren't. Because he's trying to expose you to different voices, to other people who will help you and encourage you and help you grow. Because what happens is, the people who are around you, the community, you inherit not by choosing people to come to your church or into your community, but God brings a group of people together. I'd say there's a whole bunch of people in this church that I haven't known for very long. There's a whole bunch of people in this church that I've never hung out with before. But on a Sunday, on Connect Group, until we get together, there is a community there that helps encourage and expose me to the truth of Jesus. It's like the people around me, I love like Stu, for example. Stu's the kind of person where we'll all be saying these things and we're all in alignment and we're all like, we all agree. And then Stu's like, well, actually, I disagree with that. And this is why I disagree with it. This is my 30-point thesis of why I disagree with it. And you go away for like a month and you're like, oh, my goodness, I disagree with what I said as well. And then all of a sudden you're shaped. The community is shaped become more like Christ because... Community is what God brings together. Relationships is what you choose on self-preference because it helps, it, it, that helps you feel comfortable. Church, community was never meant to help you feel comfortable. It was, help you, it was meant to make you more Christ-like. And my final point, 
The counter to environment is the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, we can't just not go places, but who goes with us? I can be like, I'm being shaped by this workplace, or I can say, the Holy Spirit in me will shape this workplace. I can be saying, the environment is impacting me. Or I can say in Galatians 5, keep in step with the Spirit, which produces the fruit of the Spirit. And over time, this happens, and the environment around me starts changing. I'm going to say one of the things that I am well aware of, not everyone, but there are a group of my friends that they always swear. And I'm not saying, I'm not going down and going to be controversial about anything here, like trying to split the room here. But what I'm saying is that they no longer swear around me because they know that this is not one of my values. And that's a loving thing from them. But maybe it's something else. Maybe people don't gossip around you anymore. Maybe people are kinder and more generous around you. The Holy Spirit will shape the environment that you're in to become more like Jesus. So my question, is transformation for you possible? Yes, it's happening every day. Maybe you don't realise it, but you will become more like Christ every day if you are following him as the Talmudim to the rabbi. And all that we need to do is keep going, not give up. Because we're against an overwhelming tide of culture. I can guarantee we will leave here, we'll be advertised to, Facebook will tell us that you need to buy these things. We'll go on the YouTube algorithm like we were talking about earlier and you'll watch videos that that apparently you like. And you'll be told stories and you'll be shown, uh, you'll be shaped by the world around you. If you don't check it, and if you're not intentional. But for us to become like Jesus, we need to be intentional. The music we listen to, the people we're around, the things we attend. You know, God wants you to be like Christ. He wants you to grow and mature and go through that metamorphosis. Can I ask you a question? And if you just want to close your eyes to think about it. In 30 years' time, 20 years' time, the trajectory of your life, do you see Jesus? Do you see yourself being more like Jesus? Is there a trajectory that says that actually I'm changing into the image of Jesus day by day? I'm becoming like my rabbi every day. If yes, that's awesome. We pray over that. We we bless that. If not, let's change that this morning. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, we thank you that you you sent your son and then Jesus Jesus went back so the Spirit could come. Holy Spirit, you are with us and we recognise that you are with us, that you empower us to change. You lead us, you guide us, you comfort us. We just pray right now that we would not be unintentionally formed by this world but we'll be intentionally formed by the practices and the things that we put in place. Lord, we want to become like you, Jesus, for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. We want to be more like you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, 
would love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.